guys going, but cool. it's so it just reminds me of a um, like a sitcom from New York yeah, in the seventies. You know, right. like a, <laughs> Gary Coleman and Jim Carrey and yeah, <laughs> Danny DeVito. Or something. <laughs> and so, what's the deal with that? You just started writing it out. Yeah, and... man. I just I you had posted something, uh, or maybe it was in one of your stories about. Um, some of your paintings of the the New York City, like the water right. towers on top of the buildings, and I, I it just got in my mind. Um, I'm such a I'm such a visual person, and with uh, synesthesia, like everything is just color based, and so certain colors, of course, evoke certain pitches or thoughts about music, and so often I write. Uh, music with um, a film on in the background or you know photographs kind of scrolling across my computer screen so that there's some type of visual thing to stimulate thought right and it's really powerful that experience of um, I don't know just using the things that we see in the world to form ideas for something that's invisible although music is heard it's just not something you can actually physically pick up right and it's kind of, I don't know it's, a, it's an interesting thing yeah I mean it's like I'm sure that certain smells or sounds inspire you to think about certain colors or schemes you know scenes I mean and uh, it's this it's that way with music for me that I'd seen anyway I'd seen one of your um, New York City paintings in, it, in a story or something and, yeah and those things like, are rare since teeth man it's just it just got me thinking. And then, of course, all the ones you've done here at Marathon. Um, yeah. Back over here. With the, the power with the, lines. Yeah, the power and lines. that tower, and too. Yeah. Painted, yeah. To, does that one have a name? Uh, the, the the tower itself or the painting I did of the, the, it? The, the tower itself. Yeah, yeah. I always call it Barry's Crown, you know, because Barry oh, yeah. Walker uh, yeah. rebuilt this place. and That's right. And so I think I always think of it as like his crown, you know. Yeah, man. So. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna have to ask you some. By the way, uh, everybody, I started this thing just because I hit hit record. But welcome to James <laughs> A. Willis Reads <laughs> oh, Redboard Journal. Yeah, I didn't tell you. So, but uh, yeah, t- so tonight is the night before Halloween, which is pretty cool because uh, a couple of the lights are burned out here in the studio, and it's kind of spooky looking. And uh, and I've got my buddy Ross Holmes here. Hey man, yeah. I'm so tickled to be here on a spooky October night. Yeah, it's right. really dreary, man. I say today was some of the worst traffic I've ever navigated in this town. Pretty gnarly. I, guess, yeah, it's pretty, I think the only traffic Winnie and I dealt with today was uh, walking around the building. Yeah. So, yeah, we're pretty... I'm sure I'm sure even that, man. I'm sure certain days here uh, at the Secret Studio can be... Down the road, I'm sure it can be pretty nuts. It gets crazy. Well, when yeah. we have... Uh, we have weddings upstairs. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, so I can tell within the first few minutes if it's going to be a long night or a short night, and yeah. I can and I can also tell if it's a, a good band or a bad band. Oh, are there many yeah. bad bands? Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And, it's a drag. Yeah. And probably none of them listening to <laughs> my podcast. Uh, yeah, well, if they yeah. are, man, get yeah. your chops together. Right, Come I on, know, y'all. Right? I know. Oh my god. <laughs> Boy, it's nothing like listening to '80s top forty. <laughs> well, in the right environment, Perform it can be pre- pretty satisfying. Alright, I'm gonna I think we're all good. I'm gonna lose these headphones so I don't have to hear myself <laughs> talking. So yeah, and like I said, we had some technical difficulties tonight which suits the uh, you know, the bill for uh, yeah. the podcast here because it's basically devolved into hit record and post it. And so yep. sometimes there's 
little or no editing so watch what you say and in fact a lot of times I tell people oh yeah don't worry about it I'm going to take that out but then I just leave then it, you leave it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's life so alright so so anyway uh, I, th- I think since I started this thing so randomly <laughs> I should probably get back I, I kind of want to you know I just wanted to talk to you tonight because I, I have so much fun when we just shoot the breeze oh man but like I kind of need your backstory for people because you know I think a I'm not sure who I know. Some people listen to this podcast because I get complaints when I don't do it. It's been a while, so but uh, but you know a lot of them are uh, music, uh, guitar players. And Surely, that's yeah. Probably because you know the fretboard journal thing is kind of where this podcast started, right? Um, and if you dig back into some of my old podcasts, if this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, you can kind of get this story. Sure, um, but. So I need to, because Ross is a fiddle player, violin player, fiddle player, <laughs> and uh, you know what, you know what brought you to Nashville. I mean, I, you know, I need the whole backstory and everything. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I was born and raised in, in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, and my younger sister, uh, Katie Shore, who in Texas is uh, and even beyond, but but really she's. Uh, She's kind of the, the queen of the scene down in Texas. She's the fiddle player and um, lead female singer for the legendary Western swing band Asleep at the Wheel. Um, she's a couple, two, three years younger than I am. Our grandfather was a doctor in Fort Worth, but his secret love in life was the fiddle. And huh. there was a his actual instrument. It's a cool story. He grew up in Nebraska, and they grew up a very near Rock Creek Station, which was a juncture for the Pony Express as well as the Oregon Trail. And at some point, generations back, some pioneer family heading west stopped there at the station and traded goods and a fiddle for some type of goods and or service or something from our ancestors. And this fiddle uh, has been in the family for generations and so it was my granddad's instrument and he loved the fiddle and got my sister started playing when she was five i would have been eight at the time and so a year later uh i walked in her bedroom one day and picked it up and i was like this is how you do it but i i it wasn't like a little kid cocky thing it was like i'd been watching i was like I know how you do this. Right. And it meant it was a more natural thing, easier thing for me than walking, <laughs> how talking. How old were you then? I was nine. Wow. Um, which is, you know, in the violin scheme of things, that's pretty late to the party. But as a fiddle player, uh, that's kind of average. You know, when most yeah. of us pick up an instrument, it's between eight and ten years old. But a lot of these classical musicians start when they're three or four, you know. So why is it that the fiddle is like that? I mean, you don't really hear about a whole lot. You know, I think most yeah. of the, a lot of the guitar players I know started when they were like, 13, 14, and, yeah. then, and then 15, 16, from my, from my generation where the yeah. guitar was still, you know, totally. God, you know. Yeah, I, I think that um, there's something about that independence that you find when you're 12, 13 years old. You start listening to radio stations on your own and buying your own CDs with your friends at the mall, and so you discover right. music that you really dig, or that's the way it used to be before streaming services. But, right. Yeah, and, uh, and in fact... Uh, I bought albums. <laughs> yeah, back when they were yeah. big right. CDs. Yeah, or 8-track cassette. <laughs> yeah. I remember carrying around Peter Frampton Comes Alive on an 8-track cassette when it wow. first came out because I wanted everybody to hear it. And it was just like, yeah, it was a, kind of a joke. Man, I have to confess, my dad had a ton of 8-tracks, but I've never once in my life had the opportunity to sit down and put in an 8-track 
tape and listen to an eight track recording on, on the machine or anything. Yeah. That will be something, of course, vinyl is as cool as it comes these days. And I think vinyl outsold CDs last year, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. like, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so we got to. Um, hey, keep, keep going with that story. Yeah. You hear that growl in the background? Wendy wants to come down the stairs. Let me get her. Hang on. <laughs> it's because I need yeah. some, some chicken. Yeah. yeah some of that Nashville hot chicken. Oh, <laughs> Winnie's got to come be a part of this. Yeah, she'll sit right at your feet when you start playing that thing. Yeah, man, I love it. There you go, Winnie, though. All right, so back to your... Back to your, uh... Your fiddle. Yeah, so, so, um... As I was saying, I I think that the, um... I think the common story for people picking up guitar or bass or anything like that so it happens 12, 13, 14 you're going into high school you've got some independence you start listening to music you dig and it seems like a cool thing to impress the girls exactly <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Phil especially uh, as, as a kid with, with glasses and not very coordinated fiddle was not the coolest instrument to, to play <laughs> but I was incredibly passionate about it and have been uh, ever since the day I picked it up, well, and, I, I have to say one of the things about you that that I've you know noticed even before I met you in the physical world is that 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 passion that you have for music and the instrument. Is, oh man, I mean it's you know yeah you don't hide it well. I, 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 do, I don't hide it well. I can't hide it well. I mean it's a career as a musician is arguably uh, one of the most stressful things you can ever try to pursue I mean you never know when the phone's gonna ring and some days you're you know drinking champagne and eating caviar and the next day you're you know eating saltine crackers and drinking tap water and, right and um which is what I offered him to drink too. <laughs> but it was so tasty. <laughs> if you go look in the kitchen, you so, might... Some of that I magic we, Willis I think water. We're, we're, I think we're out of the saltines. Yeah. Oh, man. But, but it's it's been a it's been an amazing opportunity uh, in, in my life to, to pursue this career. And, you know, of course, we're here because of the fretboard journal. And I will say, just in a super nerdy way, there would be no fretboards without fingerboards right and fingerboards then evolved into you know the the, the quote unquote fretboards that actually just had gut tied right. around them to indicate a fret like right. on the bigger like Dagamba instruments and so on and so forth I, you know, I, did, I don't think I knew that but then yeah. you know I mean I, I suppose that fretboard journal would probably have a uh, an article at some point maybe they have I haven't seen it or noticed it about fretless bass which is the yeah. same thing essentially as you know plectrum violin yeah, without they, frets they probably haven't you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna I'm gonna let you in on something so historically when this podcast first started um oh winnie's just trying to get your oh, attention man. there i'm all about it um, get in here winnie you know it was actually uh i would pick an issue yeah um a fretboard journal and then you know that's what would start off the conversations and it just it kind of got harder and harder to to rein my podcast in and i think that what finally broke my spirit was uh, i don't know if you've heard the amanda shires podcast but <laughs> It's I have it, yeah, the but we, we sure talked about that, it, man. That's, I know, yeah, and that, that's what sort of broke me from, you know, even even asking you to read Fredmore yeah. Journal, because, you know, when I asked her, we were sitting here, and, and, and I said, what's your issue? You know, what's the issue that you picked? And she said, your puppets. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, but now I'm it from the magazine and she didn't get it and so so now you know i'm always showing the love to fretboard journal but oh know. man i get it i get yeah. the puppets i also get these pith hats right here and i do have a question so this one right here with the emblem it looks like that's like a from, royal like a royal that's english a, that's like, a 24 foot 
um, from uh, the Zulu Wars. An actual from the Zulu Wars. The, the badge. Yeah. yeah. The badge. Man. Yeah. The helmets didn't survive because they were pissed. And actually, we're, sure, two, sure, we're sure. Two, two helmets short around here because uh, it was... Every podcast that we talk about the pith helmet, so I'm going to have yeah. to just do a pith helmet podcast. My dad has one hanging up in his in his house in in North Dallas. He's got it propped up on the top of a grandfather clock. Yeah, and so I've always been charmed when he uh, has found himself in a uh, in an elevated <laughs> Scottish state, right? And, yeah. and dons his pith. Yeah, <laughs> pith yeah. Well, yeah. Mine get put on a lot. <laughs> And depending on the so mood, the, both those are kind of military ones that are left. I have a couple other ones that are out on loan right now because they, you know, I went to a, a Halloween party with Grant, Big Smokey Johnson, a guitar player yeah. in town, and his wife, Lady Smokey, and uh, of course they, you know, I had to help outfit them. Yeah, you know. When your friends call you for assistance with Halloween costumes out of your own personal wardrobe, that's a little awkward, but you know. But you're the go-to resource for it. I mean, you, you've got powder horns and, and pits and antlers and all kinds of leather saddles. The, the secret studio is odd. Yeah, oh, it's it's, a, it's amazing. This is yeah. it's a it's a wonderland. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I, I the, my first time here. Of course, I, you know, having not been when when I when you opened the door and invited me in, it was like everything I had pictured the secret studio being was it. And more. It's totally ideal. Well, I mean, the fact that it's nine feet wide, that's always a bit of a shocker. Is that I mean, what it is? I don't know. Maybe a little bit more than that. But, you it's, know, about, three, it's about three, that, yeah. It's three floors, but it's like, you know, it's the brick submarine or yeah. or the brick... Uh, that's all you need. You know, the, the brick trailer. Yeah. So, now, I, I know that... Um, I, I kind of want to talk about how we met, but first I think I ought to talk about how you got to be where you were when we physically met. And yeah. so that means, you know, some of the some of the people you've played for since you came to Nashville. Did, yeah. it, did, it, did that bring you to Nashville like a gig or did you just come to Nashville and land a gig? Well, that uh, yes and no to both. So uh, when I graduated high school, I had I was at a crossroads of deciding if I was going to actually go to college and pursue a degree in music, which would have been for classical violin. Um or if I was going to try to chase down the fiddle thing and I moved to my dad's house in Dallas uh, the summer of 2002 and he suggested as is very common in Europe why don't you just take a gap year and figure out what the hell you want to do with your life because uh, that's a big thing to put pre- I was 17 at the time uh, there's a lot of pressure to put on a um, on a teenager that you know doesn't know their ass from a hole in the ground and right. so I, I went with the decision to just take a year and see what might happen. And very quickly, I started playing all kinds of gigs in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, playing on a bunch of records with folks. And uh, and then the fall of 2002, I got a call from a, a songwriter, a mandolin player in Fort Worth, a guy named Brian Simpson, who was um, basically putting a little bluegrass band together, which became Cadillac Sky. And I, that band went from 2000 until 2010 uh, and became sort of um, gratefully one of the uh, important acoustic Americana bands of the aughts. We started out pretty much as like a traditional sounding bluegrass band with kind of modern material and by the end of our time we we had done a couple albums for Skaggs Family Records and then did a little independent EP and then at the very end our last record which came out on Dual Tone in 2010 was produced by Dan Arbach of the Black Keys oh wow Uh, so we we made this big like shift but the music uh, in fact I hadn't listened in a long time like 
several years and was on a flight a couple weeks back and put on one of the albums Gravity is Our Enemy uh, and was I had a big smile on my face I was I was really pleased at how happy I still am with the music and the special nature yeah. of those arrangements and tones And but anyway that my time with Cadillac Sky led to a really interesting thing I had been planning on moving to Nashville for some time there was about six months when I was 20 years old that I toured with Josh Turner country singer here in mm-hmm. town but I was still living in Texas and I, that, I wasn't ready to move to this city at that point. But during my time with Cadillac Sky, I'd been building up my contacts and my relationships and my workload in town. And finally, uh, the spring of 2010, uh, made the decision that at some point that year I was going to move up. Right. So the summer of 2010, we were playing the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, Cadillac Sky, and met that little blue, <laughs> bluegrass folk band from uh, England, Mumford and Sons, <laughs> yeah. and wound up doing a tour with them that fall. Well, in between Telluride and the tour, I moved to Nashville. Right. And at the end of the tour, we spent, I don't know, three or four weeks touring around the U.S. and Canada with, with Mumford. Um, at the end of that tour, Cadillac Sky ended. It just ended for various reasons and it was kind of a shock to all of our systems and uh, it was very soon after that that Mumford invited me to join their Motley crew as a yeah. tour member and a ranger and, and uh, so I moved to Nashville for Nashville reasons but my gig as it wound up being was very very far away from Nashville and Where were they um, based? London oh yes, my God. the guys are all right. from London so I was you know, I would go over and live for months at a time in London uh, while home base was here in Nashville. I was over there. And so I I spent uh, the next three or four years with them. And uh, then they went on a hiatus after their uh, second album, Babel, uh, came out in 2012. We toured that album. And then when that tour cycle ended, um, I got a random call uh, from this Virginia phone number and I usually if I don't know a number I screen my calls right. you know, like like anybody who's got two brain cells but um, I've, I've just felt compelled to pick up this call and in fact I was in Austin my sister had just picked me up from the airport and I was like Katie I think I gotta I gotta grab this call real quick and answered the phone and it was Bruce Hornsby and he <laughs> said hey man I, I see you're on a hiatus now with Mumford um, I don't know how long it's gonna be but I, I want you to join my band wow. and it was about a two second decision it was like oh Great. Yeah. Awesome. Please. Right. What I'm shocked. This right. is amazing. Is there an audition? He's like, no, you've got the thing if you want it. And that was even more shocking. Uh, the most shocking part was like, well, send me some tunes. And he sent me a list of 95 songs. And I, I, I called him. I was like, which uh, which ones do you want me to learn? He's like, well, I, s- I sent you the list. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so game game on, man. It was pressures on. And um so I, I was with uh, Bruce's band from 2014 through uh, the end of 2017, and in between that time, I toured for about a year and a half between Hornsby tours. I was out with um, Warren Haynes and his acoustic wow. project, Ashes and Dust, and did some shows with Ryan Bingham, and all the while, still living here in Nashville, doing all the sessions and playing with artists in and around town. Right. Um, it just happened that in 2015, I bought my house on the other side of the city, and... Um, Two doors down, we met our neighbors, uh, Jamie and Dorian Hanna. Well, Jamie's the son of Jeff Hanna, who founded the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. And so since 2015, I've been kind of hanging with those dudes and, and um, sitting in and guesting at various gigs. And 
at the end of 2017, um, John McEwen, their longtime banjo player, um, fiddle player, mandolin player, kind of utility guy, uh, decided to leave for personal reasons and to, to pursue a solo career. And so the band was kind of on the edge of thinking, well, what are we going to do? We've been around for, for 50 years now at this point. Do we keep going or what? We still have some gigs. And so they were going to leave John's position open to sort of a rotating cast of people, Sam Bush and Jerry Douglas. And it just happened that I was invited to be the first on the, the docket to go out and do some right. shows, which led to uh, Jamie, Jeff's Hannah, the lead singer's son, who lives two, two doors down from me, him coming out. He's an amazing singer and guitar player and toured with the Mavericks and Gary Allen and had his own big solo project uh, in the early 2000s. And so the, with the two of us kind of out there, there was this renewed energy with the Dirt Band. There yeah. was this, this renewed spirit and enthusiasm, which led to all these dates being added in 2018. And now we've come up to the the almost the end of our touring for 2019 with even more dates and they're looking at even more dates for 2020 which is right. awesome there's this this new rush of life and excitement in the band and songs and looking at ancient material and deep catalog material and how we can rearrange all these things and just be active and create a, a new environment and it's really exciting man uh Particularly for me, I feel this great responsibility because um, the first Bluegrass Grammy was, I think, in 1988 and went to Bill Monroe. It had to right. go to Bill Monroe. But the second Bluegrass Grammy was in 1989. It was given to the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band uh, for their recording of Bruce Hornsby's song, The Valley Road, on Will the Circle Be Unbroken 2. And... For me to be like the guy in my generation that was a member of Bruce's band uh, and now the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, that point of the triangle is, yeah. it's cool because the bands with Cadillac Sky and Mumford and Sons, both of those uh, groups are very community centered. They were community centered, Cadillac Sky. We were always collaborating with guests and Mumford is known around the world for their inclusive spirit of collaboration with artists in, in all of the genres, classical, jazz, funk, South African music, South American Toro tunes, you know, and the big rock artists and everybody between. Um, and so it's really this very cool, um, interesting place. Place I find myself um, at that, yeah, at that sort of that point of the pyramid, the point of the triangle. You know, being the young guy and with all these old legendary artists, it's it's really neat, man. Well, I saw you guys um, at uh, the Ryman. Right. Yeah. And that, yeah. That's where it was. And uh, yeah, the band. I mean. It oh no. Uh, uh, what was it? No, the, um, it was the Tennessee uh, music. Country music. Uh, country, country, right. Yeah. Right. The CMA Theater. Right. Yeah, that was and my only time there. It was a cool spot. It was a cool spot, but it, the band felt like I didn't feel like I was watching a historical act. I mean, it. You know. It, it felt fresh and, and exciting, and 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 you guys. Uh, I feel like that maybe um, you guys. We're bringing that forward, but it, but it didn't stand out. It pulled everybody yeah. along, and and it was really cool. And I think well, it's thank yeah. you, man. Yeah. So so I didn't feel like I was watching, you know, somebody, uh, sort of going, "Hey, we've done this. Here's you want to see us." It yeah. was like very, very in the moment. You know, it felt very new, and well, it was that, great. That's that's big praise. I mean, I, I think that one of the. Um, one of the interesting things about the the Dirt Band is that they have 
covered so many bases as a group. Um, they have had success in rock, in pop, in country, in uh, yeah, obviously bluegrass and Americana, and they're truly one of the great American bands. Yeah, and they've withstood the test of time. I mean, the very first vinyl record I remember listening to with my dad was the original "Will the Circle Be Unbroken," which came out in '71. And here you had a group of long-haired hippies from. L.A. Right. Coming to Nashville to record with Maybelle Carter right, yeah. and Vassar Clements and you know Jimmy Martin and and uh, I mean all of the all of the legends Earl Scruggs. Yeah, and it's cool that album's like number one now or something because yeah, of the man, show that Ken Burns sang. Right? Totally, yeah. it's it's so wild. I mean, I'm I'm tickled too for them that there was such a, a focus on that band because what it what they really did was set the tone for the the inclusive and the uh, collaborative spirit of musicians from different genres right and and really you know in this in this age we, f- we find ourselves here doing this podcast th- this this age of information and discovery uh, this all of this is so much easier to process and and take in than ever before because our you know right. fucking phones yeah, <laughs> they, it's, it's the can, gateway yeah. to, to all the information and now there's certainly a difference between information and knowledge but information is so available and discovering all these musicians through Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube our resources are incredible but back then none of that existed you had to go to a record store and find a record that you either, either heard on the radio or the art artwork looked right. cool and you wanted to buy it or right. somebody had said hey check out this person so it really was a feat that these dudes back in the late 60s early 70s were able to get their shit together enough to come to Nashville and record an album that has become the standard of all Americana because but, it was the first and, real one and also the access if you listen to the album that they had to these people like you know listening to oh, Maybell yeah it's pretty wild it, it's it's yeah. so wild and, and so I do uh, have to pinch myself and, and realize man like I I am in this environment with these musicians that are as spry as they were when they were in their 20s right. and they're still doing it and uh, it's it's incredible, man. And you know, sp- speaking of guitar stuff, this is just what's so cool. Is like Jeff Hanna, uh, the the lead singer of the Dirt Band. If I if I'm remembering the story right, and I could be wrong a bit, but but he, I know he'll listen and, and correct me. But he had uh, an old Les Paul Jr. that he stripped the finish off of and painted black, and somehow that made its way to Glenn Fry from the Eagles, and that was that black Les Paul that he played right. for years and years and years. I heard that story. Yeah, man, yeah. and it's all that kind of stuff you know yeah. you think about the dirt band you think about fishing in the dark and you think about will the circle being broken acoustic music but they were mainstays in the in the california rock scene and right. and just the, the the crossover of just sounds not only like the people that they collaborated with but the sound of electric instruments and b3 organ with banjos and mandolins right yeah, it's yeah. it's so wild that you know the the crossover and yeah, and then they um, were able to pull it off when they did too. Yeah, and keep yeah. it going. You know, it's hard enough yeah. to keep you know keep our focus on something, uh, but and for society at large to remain interested and devoted to a group after half a century is yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, it's it's really something. That's a story right there. It, you know? It's it's huge. And I know when you when you ask me to. Uh, 
come by Southern Ground that you're going to be recording some uh, a song. And yeah. You didn't say anything else about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going. In fact, my friend Carly Collins was yeah. over here, and and I was like, let's go. You know, let's go check it out. And uh, and so we we walk into the room, and that was the first time that you and I we had kind of been you know virtual friends i guess yeah, you know man. but i walked in and and you know you turned around to introduce me to the guys and i think right out of the shoot and you're like yeah you know it's jeff hannah <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know my my you know i'm from mr bojangles era man i was like yeah i was blown away i was like what oh man yeah so and that's cool that i've gotten to talk to him a few times since then and well, know, they're, they're obviously bit. big, big fans of yours. In fact, for for everybody listening out there, we were just in New York City. We had a couple of days off on on this last run, and James was uh, cruising around town for a little bit. And um, we, we, you and I, had been communicating about a hang, and and uh, you had said, "Why don't we just take the dudes over to to Rudy's Guitars, man?" Right, right. And man, that what I thought that was, was going to be. Day, man. Oh, that was yeah. such an excellent day. What yeah. I thought was going to be, you know, an hour hang and just look at some stuff. How we were there three or it four hours. It was a takeover. Yeah. It was a total I mean, takeover. Yeah, I think pretty Jeff was like behind the counter at some point. Oh man, absolutely yeah. pulling guitars off the wall and yeah. that that the burst that Les Paul burst and that flying V there. I mean, all yeah. that stuff was just. And what's amazing is those dudes know so much about all of those guitars. Yeah. I mean, I had learned so much. Of course, fiddle being my main instrument. You know, I'll talk for days about the great Italian makers through the contemporary, you know, luthiers. Um, but also, as a result of playing fiddle, mandolin is a, a deep part of my scene because it's tuned the same. It's just simply uh, the the different motion of whether you're using a bow or a pick. Right. But it lays the same on the on the fingerboard, the fretboard. Um, and man, it was so nice to to go to Rudy's and see, of course, all these historic electric instruments and acoustic guitars and then you know behind the counter is that incredible right. you know, Florentine mandolin that was painted right, all right, up right. with the scene and yeah. you know there's an appreciation for all the all the instruments man yeah. and but yeah, Jeff, and I, don't, I don't know that I'd ever seen a um, I don't know that I'd ever seen a mandolin in there I mean you know yeah, but, I, I well, I've never seen one. I've never seen one that that was that painted up. I'd seen, but still some sounded of, great. Man, it still sounded great. Those little oval hole Gibson yeah. A style mandolins are. Yeah. It's a sound, man. It's it's a, an absolute deal that people are just people love. Yeah, it's, but usually when I, uh, you know, I do a lot of art for musicians, obviously, and I usually say no when it comes to painting yeah. on an instrument because. You know, unless I'm starting from scratch, I won't do anything to the actual instrument. I just don't feel like I can mess with the karma. You Surely. Know? So, like, if it's, you know, sometimes if it's brand new, but historically, like, yeah. with the Gibsons, it's come from the factory with no finish specked out to what, yeah. where I want to start. And uh, I'd, I'd had a guy um, a while back bought a case, and when I asked him what guitar was going in it, he said, oh, well, I don't play the guitar. <laughs> and, and I'm like, whoa, okay, well, this isn't, you know, well, let's put something in it at least, you know, yeah. and, and and so because of that, I didn't feel, I thought, well, he doesn't play, so you know, I'm gonna get like an Epiphone EJ or something like that, and yeah. and you know, just paint it too, put it in the case to match, and I did it, and after I sanded all the poly off the thing and painted it and and re, you know, finished it, and it actually sounded pretty good. So maybe I need to rethink my aversion to, you know, taking out the, Man, the wet sander and. I think it's worth it trying. Actually, I've, I, in fact, you know what we can do? I've got this experiment. I've just ordered this um, electric mandolin. 
uh, from a company and they they weren't into doing the finish that I wanted to to have on it and so they're like just have somebody in Nashville just just get in there and try it out and I've got barely anything in this instrument <laughs> that'll right. be a let's do it that'd be a yeah. fun project to just yeah. get weird on I do have a question though because I've seen some of the guitars that you've carved like the Les Pauls that you've cut into right so when they send those guitars to you is there excess wood that allows you to to get in or is it just no it's just standard the less risky business you... yeah wow yeah it's scary when we're done with the podcast because no, no nobody listening to the podcast would benefit from this <laughs> but that less paul that's in the, there's a less paul case on yeah, that yeah. in that big stack of guitars and uh in, oh yeah yeah inside that is is one of the blanks Okay. So you can see. Yeah. Cool. So it's unfinished. Yes. And, and they yes. just give you... Specked out to like, I'll say, you know, 57 neck. Yeah. You know, okay. this, that, and the other. Wow. You and go that go far down it. and like you want a specific neck yeah. on your oh, guitar. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So do you then, when you're... Man, how does it work? I mean, obviously there's a mystery to carving and sculpture to me that I don't even comprehend but do you lay out like you would like you would rough sketch an idea for a painting do you do you do that on the guitar and then carve from there well sort of I'll have a I'll have a rough idea of where I'm going but yeah I'll, I'll have a rough guide for where I'm going but basically I before I start something like that really even with a painting I can see the whole thing in my head very clearly yeah. First. Surely. So um, it's really just about taking away wood to get to what I see. Yeah. So I'm not, with carving, I'm not making decisions on the fly. I'm just trying to get to where I'm at. And then sometimes uh, in the middle of that, you know, it'll shift. What you doing, Winnie? <laughs> and, uh, but usually I, I know where I'm going and I'm just get there you know just take away to get there so it's not it's different than working on you know other kinds of three-dimensional sculpture like there's a there's a wax underneath that staircase you can't see it's yeah. three baths oh yeah they're going to be cast in bronze and that's a very different thing you know because it's kind of dynamic but the guitar is yep. pretty static and then you know the guitar also presents all sorts of you know, danger zones, you know, you... Oh, man, yeah, you, get too you know, close to... Yeah, you get know, too pick close up to something, the, the, and, and what's yeah. routed out, and yeah. the whole bit. Yeah, I just wonder, you know, because with building mandolins or acoustic guitars, violins, they're very strict rules for how things measure out and yeah. how the thickness is and, and where the pressure is and, and where and all the pressure kind of is yeah. and all this. And But surely when you're carving, like, you're removing mass from an instrument that was designed to be that... Mass essentially, right. so it, with solid body electric guitars, it, it's usually you know not that big of a yeah, crisis. Yeah, okay. it's not doesn't really affect it. Not not the yeah. way I do it. If anything, sure. it might make it sound a little better because you're gonna have a little lightening up. Yeah, lightening up. So I have done some carvings into uh, actually spruce tops of parlor guitars, like relief carving, and that was scary, man. Because like old like yeah, washburns and yeah, stuff like that. Washburns, exactly. Yeah, cool, Zach Brown man. has one of them, and uh, um, um, let's see who has the other one. Um, Gosh, I can't think right off the top of my head. Yeah, he has the other one. But is that there, was scary because at any moment, I mean, you can just tell when you're cutting down into it, you can either go through, go too deep, or, you know, oh, man. you know, you know the, all the pressure on the, you know, 
surface of that guitar it could just explode you know oh man so, I can't, it, yes, yeah they just the thought of those you know how all the guitars are braced and how thin you know yeah. over time and how brittle that wood is from it drying out and yeah that's amazing skill to like and, and, again, and confidence are, I'm not a luthier by the way and don't claim to be one but uh um those when I have done that to the Washburns, they came as a new guitar. So even then, I feel like if I destroy it, it's on me. But I'm not really taking a guitar that's been played from the world, you know. And oh, gotcha. That, that's all. That was my thing with the Gibsons, with the Les Pauls. I love the Les Paul so much, and the idea of of taking an existing instrument from the world that could go to somebody else by somebody that's already with finished it. out yeah. and done yeah yeah that's, yeah so that's yeah so that's why you know it started again with them I've, somebody says they don't like my guitars that's great you know I mean look you know it's art yeah sure and, if you know, like they it do not, like yeah. them it's great yeah but I don't care in either case yeah. it's not going to affect what I do if you do like it it's not going to affect what I do if you don't like it but you can't say to me oh my god look what you did to that Les Paul because I'm like no that Les Paul was born to for this purpose so when you carve it out do you have an idea in your mind about how you're going to have them or do or do you uh actually do the, the, the finishing and the coloring and, and the sealing well, now, of all that? Yeah, now, and, and historically, they had done it, but I'm actually, okay. I'm working with an, a guy here in town to, to do some of that stuff for me now, and then I work with uh, small builders a few yeah. times, you know, where they'll have an, you know, an idea for a crazy guitar, and they'll send me the parts, I'll carve them up, then they put yeah. them all back together, so yeah. It's, it's really cool, cool, man, on a lot of old sort of... Um, countryside fiddles if you will instead of having a typical like I scroll do at the top uh, like with the Fibonacci they'll have they'll, they're just called head like fiddles head. I want to do it so bad oh man they're, they're the coolest thing I've seen some of the weird and they all vary one of the most beautiful ones I saw was uh, sort of this renaissance period-esque type carving of King David and the only reason why people know it as King David is that there was a gold uh, headband put on the head of this carving on the fiddle with a with right. a red ruby in the middle and engraved on the gold band said King David wow. <laughs> but this I mean it's that's a, a big clue it's a powerful thing I mean Vassar Clements played an old Doffergonger fiddle that had uh, the head carved on the top and you know a lot of those old instruments will be inlaid with farm right. scenes countryside scenes on right. the back and on the side they'll have Latin written around and, right. and with that right. loosely I don't know what the Latin the actual Latin is but the way it loosely translates is in life I am silent but in death right. I sing right right which right. is a beautiful statement about yeah. the, the wood the trees that you know in I life think you may have so... told me that story I just heard that recently so yeah, yeah. man I, yeah. I, I've thought about that so often over the years because the sentiment is uh, it's really powerful you know the, the, the oldest well in, in, in the, the modern western world I guess the oldest instruments that exist that are still played are violins right the oldest ones coming from the mid 1500s you know, 1560, right. 1570. I've, I've been really fortunate to play a few... Magini violins and Gaspar de Salo violins from that, that period. And although the design has been refined, nothing major on the instrument has changed. And particularly since the Amati family and, you know, the Stradivari, that, that period from like 1620 through 1740, like the three great families, the Amatis, the Stradivaris, and the Guarneris, those designs are still copied down 
down to millimeters right. today because it just it worked. And yeah. for as fragile as these instruments are, they're so rugged. I mean, my fiddle here, it's not an expensive instrument. It's special. It's sentimental. But it was made in, um, in 1829 in France. And so it's 190 years old this wow. year. And... It's had its share of dings and scratches, but man, really, it's just... It looks pretty fabulous. I mean, it's great. It's, you know, it's just a basic, you know, one-piece maple back and maple ribs on the side uh, and a spruce top. But, you know, I think the thickest point of this instrument is maybe four millimeters. I, I'm always... I can't... Yeah, I don't I don't understand how guitarists survive. Yeah, run a bow over it. Yeah, it's man. Feeling. Well, it's just... It's a, you know, for something that's 190 years old... It's um, it's Chops. a. <laughs> well, it's it's just a, it blows me away that instruments can survive that long. In fact, Strad made guitars too, and oh, there really? there are three yeah. or four. Oh, wait, before you put that yeah. down, let me let me let me let me try it here. Yeah, let me please think. here. Oh, here, let me hand it to you. Yeah, here. Oh, okay, thanks. Let's see. <laughs> let, me t- let me just tune it up a little. Yeah, it's pretty easy. You got it. Okay, here. No, okay, that was Thanks, not man. me. Nobody. Th- <laughs> Nobody thinks that was me. Oh, Happy man. Halloween. That was my costume, my invisible costume. I was a fiddle player. Oh my goodness, so, man. But yeah, that's funny. So yeah, you know, I was thinking we we're gonna have like a you know crazy Halloween uh, podcast, but it actually was so informative, and I think this might be like this might actually be like my first. Actual informative podcast. Oh, oh man, it's, yeah. I, I nerd out so hard to these yeah. things. I, I I think it's critical. I mean, and you I as an artist have connected. You, you know, as a uh, sorry, Winnie, you got my love. Um, you've you've poured hours over to the great artists and, and studied their works and their techniques and. I'm sure you've even gone as far as like what type of paints and like what what was the composition of the oil oh, yeah, paints and, sure. the, and the are these boar bristle brushes or rabbit hair or, or what I don't even know I'm, I'm right, making yeah. shit up but it's the same I, I think that oftentimes um, players ap- appreciate instruments they find instruments that they like but they never really dive to that next level of this is the history of why this instrument came to be and even beyond right. that this is how this company like Gibson or Martin Guitars God, they've been around for right. pushing 200 years man Right. and you know there, there's a uh, a history and an understanding of this and I find it particularly fascinating that with the violin variations of the instrument can be found in almost every culture around the world bowed instruments with maybe two strings or four strings or even more eight or eleven strings um, and and the reason being is that the tone produced is so akin to the nature of the human voice right in the emotional range we can be very just loud and powerful or very dynamic and right. soft when we're quiet you know right. and and the instrument can the instrument can do the exact same thing this is one advantage that the violin has over any plectrum instrument is that i can do this for hours right i can sustain i don't have right. to have a pedal um but the fact that you can be Wow, 
I'll listen to that. In the, in the same in the same box, and it just it blows me away, and my fascination and curiosity with it uh, only deepens as I go further down this rabbit hole. And man, it is a rabbit hole. Yeah, it's it is so. Oh, I, man. I actually have a question about that. That yep. like, so that just popped in my head. So did, did I can't pull Wendy sitting there pawing at you <laughs> and probably killing the recording because every time you lean down it's better. Um, but. Did the violin just sort of appear as is, or were there versions before it that were sort of like not quite working? And, and yeah, then I so guess maybe people don't say those. Yeah, no, everything came from the from from the the old lutes, if you will, and um, the the modern design, particularly um, of the bow. Uh, this the shape that we know as the violin bow now has been around since uh, a famous maker Tort um, basically created the modern design in the, in the mid to late 1700s mm-hmm. uh, but before that the bows were much pointier and much shorter and early bows uh, played on the the Degamba instruments which were fretted with like a twine kind of gut wrapped around right sort of like um, sitari sort of yeah or, sitari well, type th- those are metal but I feel like they're tied on at yeah, least. yeah, they, they were just tied on, yeah. and they would actually slide. You know, those frets would slide, right. slide around a bit, so pitch could get a little janky. But um, the um, keep talking. No, keep her. Oh yeah. <laughs> the uh, it's all right, Winnie. Um, these uh, the the violin basically evolved out of out of lutes, instruments that had arched backs, arched tops, uh, not. They didn't have F holes like we see on the front, uh, but they had crescent holes, which were, uh, they just looked like C's, reverse C's on each side. And um, then somebody, you know, put a little bit of a a radius on the bridge so that the strings had a bit of a roll to them. And you can't really pick through, or it's hard to finger... uh, anything that's got that type of radius but you right. can bow it very well right so those original bows in like the maybe the 1400s late 1400s rolling into the 1500s um were producing sounds and so the instruments needed to change a little bit to accommodate what potential was there that could right. come out of the instruments um and really it's amazing most of the violins that exist today have been um Modernized to accommodate heavier tension strings, these hybrid synthetic metal strings uh, that all the players use these days, as well as a, a, a longer scaled necks with extended fingerboards, because the the brilliant compositions and technical abilities of these classical violinists demands more range. Right. Um, this fingerboard, actually, on my French violin, which is made by a guy named um, Francois Breton, um, in as I said, eighteen twenty nine. This is the original fingerboard on this instrument, and it's over half an inch shorter than a standard fingerboard to this very day and so I mean not that I'm hanging up there in the stratosphere like classical violinists but there are times when I've tried to reach up for a note and just literally run out of fingerboard run out of fingerboard because back then they they didn't play I mean the music was kind of written to the end of the fingerboard right and they weren't using metal strings they were gut strings and so the tones and the sounds were different uh, and it's it's an evolutionary thing the the um, there is uh, a violin that was sold in 2011, um, the Lady Blunt Stradivari from around, around like 1715 or something, and it sold for I don't know, man, about 15 million bucks. Um, and it's one of the few remaining Stradivari instruments that is virtually untouched, like the original neck that Strad carved for it. Now the fingerboard had been replaced, but it was, you know, fit to the specifications of the instrument. Um, and in fact. 
at the Ashmolean Museum at Oxford University um, uh, in England. You have the, 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 the oh man, there's the Messiah Stradivari, <laughs> and this is so beautiful. The, the the famous Hill family of from London, which were the experts on violins in the 1800s through the, the mid 1900s, um, they bequeathed this instrument to the. Um, to the to the school there to the to the museum with the caveat that the instrument never be played once they took ownership of it because it is virtually an untouched Stradivari. I mean, there is little to no varnish wear. The the scroll, the fittings, like everything is. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's exactly like the instrument would have come out of Strad's workshop wow. in like 1708. Wow. And I know that. Uh, that the, the years are really impressive. That's three hundred and you know eleven years old. But Gibson does that. Martin does that. You go to their you know factories and their museums and their Martin guitars that go all the way back right. to the beginning. Yeah, there are examples of Gibson guitars that go. You know the the very first prototypes of the Les Paul. I mean, what a Franken guitar that right. was. And yeah, it's just man, it just it blows me away that these these things are totally silent unless we play them. Right. And they bring so much life, but it's still nothing that you can actually grab and hold on to. Right. And that just, what an, what an amazing, I don't know, it just, my, I, I trip out, like I feel like I'm stoned just even thinking about it. The, just the thought of how much emotion and heart and experience we take from something that is just invisible. Right. Or even how much of that is preceded you with that very instrument that you're playing tonight oh, like, like where have, has it been where was it played who played it you oh know, man what? I've wondered often like where did this scratch from come yeah. from where did this crack yeah. come from like did this was this in France during World War II when yeah. the shit hit the fan like, you should what, take it you? to a psychic I should man I've never been I, I, I am nervous about going because yeah maybe you should yeah. eh? no yeah. no I would love to I'm just afraid they're gonna be like dude you're so messed up in the head yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have an amazing experience. You were telling me about just auras and, and people's energy. And man, that's got, you have to, as tapped into that world as you are, you have to pick that up through people and their music and get some type of oh, energy yeah. from that, man. No I, doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's intrinsic. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Certainly don't understand it, but yeah. It's, I mean, it's, and as I get older, it seems like it's easier. Like if I'm close to somebody, I know, you know, yeah, I, you can tell, you can tell which side of the coin they're on pretty quickly. Totally. So, and, and 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 because of the way my life is right now, I don't have to deal with many people like that because I just, you know, it's not like I have a job or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hate that guy I have to work with. Oh man! If I don't like you, I don't see you again. But you've totally created the environment that you find yourself, and and that's, uh, I mean, it's it's amazing. You you yourself, uh, there's so many people. I first heard about you years ago uh, when Zach opened Southern Ground Studios. I mean, that must have been like. 2008 or nine when I that studio yeah. opened. It was, it was a long time ago because I was over there recording stuff with Cadillac Sky and various artists, you know, through the years. And, uh, you know, there's the, the amazing uh, sculpture, the scene, the diorama that you made of ancient Egypt between the, the double pane glass between the control room and the 
in the tracking room, plus all the cases that Zach has hanging up. And it was like, this guy, man, I don't even know who this guy, I didn't even know what you looked like at the time. And I was like, whoever did this, like, I, I there's some, there's a thing. And the, you, we leave energy where we go. We leave energy in the things that we create and craft. And when they're out there for people, you, know, you pick up on all that stuff. And, uh, you know, Zach's done an amazing job with um, the environment over that studio being so creative and, and so quirky and yeah well, Zach, Zach Zach is a um, he loves art and he and he's oh, really supportive to artists and he's got I think a lot of totally friends, and that's that's know? one of the reasons why I decided to record my um, solo fiddle record over there not only does the room sound amazing but just just the, the feeling of being in that space with all the wood and, and the the colors and the art yeah um, and two the, the the entire team over there man they're all just creative nut jobs yeah and no doubt when I when I told Brandon Bell that I, 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 I bet I bet the podcast they do from over there now is a bit more sophisticated than <laughs> oh yeah they got some crazy expensive mics probably, and yeah, trees, probably have but... like a probably have some sort of Brandon if he saw how we had it set up over here would probably have some sort of anxiety attack oh. <laughs> Yeah. His afro just poops yeah, up right. even more. Yeah. No, we did a cool thing, man. Brandon was a genius with that with that recording. He had suggested that we um, we try to capture everything as if um, listeners had the experience of what I hear when I play with the instrument under my chin. Right. And so we like recorded in like this kind of 360 setup. I had mics behind me down low, behind me mid, behind me high, directly above me, all in front of me, and then all the mics that they have wired up in the room turned on. Yeah. And then once we got the recording done, it was then the experience of going through and selecting the mics, the mic combinations that best represented that sound that I hear under my chin. And you know, you have, I hear breathing. I hear the sound of the actual horsehair going across the strings right. with the rosin. There's a grip and a grit to that. that yeah, is, sure. You don't necessarily hear it 20 feet out, but you certainly hear it when it's right under your ear. Right. And um, there's there's a, a rawness and a um, I don't want to say a distortion, but but there there is a, an absolute grab effect to the instrument that is uh, that is present when you're playing it versus when you're listening from a distance and. I really think, man, because of their, uh, the creativity there and just the, the vibe that's present, uh, we were able to catch it and capture it uh, more accurately than I've, I've heard on a recording before. And it, it, it's just silly old fiddle tunes, but um, it's a unique experience. And I'm pleased, I'm not trying to like plug my record. I just think that those guys over there are I, so yeah. cre- crazy creative and uh, geniuses. And the whole time I'm sitting there playing... Sally Gooden and Allentown Polka and Upik. Uh, I'm looking at these beautiful cases that you've painted, and I'm looking at this amazing diorama of the you know the, the obelisks and the jeeps and everything right. from ancient Egypt, you know, excavations and and yeah. I don't know, man. It's the whole experience of that. Um, well, I, it's something I, else. I appreciate you saying those nice things about my work, but I, I it it is one of the things that that I love doing artwork for musicians so yeah. much because uh, I feel like that I, I'm, you know in a roundabout sort of way my stuff like to know that my stuff is is in that world that they're in yeah. you know it's it's kind of cool because you know you know if you have a painting in somebody's living room you know it might affect a conversation but if you have yeah. 20 paintings in a recording studio there's a part of you that thinks 
you know, maybe influencing the way somebody feels, you know, it's kind of a, it's a funny thing. It's, it, it's not an experience that, that, that normal artists, I think, like me, get to have that often because, you know, I mean. Sure. Because you're kind of getting probably somebody like a set designer or somebody like that, probably that's their world. You know, they're, they're a part of the creative process. But in, in my case, in Zach's case in particular, um, I do like the idea that that my work is is on the wall there, you know, a lot. Oh you know? man, it's 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 so. a now it's become a mainstay of the experience of, of going there, and not just there, but you know, going to Carter Vintage. I mean, I can't even imagine how many how many tens of thousands of people have walked through those doors and seen something James Willis has created, right. you know, and the fact that again that energy kind of relationship all the music that has come out of the studio southern ground it that sound has bounced off those cases you painted oh yeah it bounced yeah. off that glass where that diorama is it is captured on tape and in a way your energy has been put back into all this amazing and personal music that has come out of that studio that's an experience that I mean, it's not like the Mona Lisa's flying around different, you know, galleries. It's at the Louvre, and people are there seeing it, but it's just going to be there. And they're there to see it, I think. And they're, yeah. and they're there to see it, but in the opposite was, way, your art is there for the artist, and it has yeah. come, it is then heard, everybody hears it, whether they realize it or not. And that, yeah. man, the experience that you have as, a, as an artist and a craftsman and as a sculptor, a carver, uh, that you're contributing the same as these musicians playing all the music you're creating an environment where you're adding to the story of that of just of the American vernacular and that's oh. an amazing well thanks uh, I mean, this, it's I so pro- cool I, man I probably should I probably should have stopped you about a few minutes ago <laughs> no, saying no no no, no. Man. this podcast has now become yeah. Ross Holmes yeah. interviewing yes. James well, Willis well actually uh, <laughs> you know yeah oh yeah it's so but, great man yeah but that's how this is this is anyway that's like to bring it full circle that's how it all kind of happens you know people and their vibe and what they put out you know we can now connect with folks through instagram and through facebook and twitter yeah uh, that we i mean 10 years ago i i would have been it would have been a trick to try to track you down right you're yeah. an elusive man as it is and it's still a trick to track you down <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wanted you to track me down yeah, so. man yeah it's still a little bit of a trick to track me down yeah you hang on to, um, hang, hang on one second ross i think we've we've got we got a company. visitor yeah hang on all right. How's it going, y'all? Hey. Yeah. Good. Ross. Hey, yeah. Nice to see so, you. Hey, Ross. Nice to meet you. All right. Hey, so we're going to pause right now and we'll say our Great. our farewells in a minute. And anyway, everybody, I'm talking to Ross Holmes. And uh, I'm going to put some links to some of the music that you're playing. Beautiful. And we're going to actually finish this uh, thing. But it's a classic way to end it. Exactly, yeah. man. Nashville yeah. shows up. Here we yeah. are. World we are. friends. So, Thank you so much, man. Yeah. This means the world Thanks. to me. And you're gonna get, we're going to have some links. I want to find out about all your new stuff. And yeah. uh, we'll go from there. Absolutely. All right, my brother. Thanks, James. See you. All right, all, right, all right, you guys. We, yeah. This podcast Thanks. has ended rather dramatically. Uh, we've got some visitors all the way from Utrecht. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so Ross is just going to play us out, and he's going to come back, and we're going to finish his stories. <laughs> yeah, and, round two, yeah. part two. So, all right. See if you know this one.
fingers warmed up next time. That's really great, man. That's beautiful, man. 